What if I told you that you're a king? You may look at me and say, well, Petey, I'm not wealthy. I'm not any kind of a ruler in this world. I'm not any kind of a leader. I'm not any kind of an authority. What do you mean I'm a king? In Revelation 1 verse 6, God comes and he declares he's made us kings and priests. And in fact, when you look at the book of Genesis and the story of the garden, you find that God came to Adam and Eve and said that he gave them dominion over all of the earth. God's original intent and plan was for them to be like kings over the earth, ruling over creation alongside the father, alongside God, who is the king of kings. And as any other king has treasure, so I want to submit you have treasure. But the treasure that is to be gathered to you in God's kingdom is a treasure much more valuable and much different than any of the treasures gathered by the kings of this world, much more precious than the most precious of jewels or gold or artifacts, but something that cannot be destroyed. But I want to submit to you at the same time, there are many of us who are called to be kings and called to be priests, but yet we're losing our treasures. Even though God has appointed a portion unto us, we are squandering it away and we're not even realizing it. We're like a king who went and squandered his own inheritance. But your father, God is calling you back to a deeper place of kingship being restored back to you. You see, I want us to start with this week's portion of the Torah. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 17, how it is discussed what the requirements of a good king is and what a good king ought to watch out for. And while these instructions are for any kind of an earthly king that Israel would set up to rule over them, I want to submit to you that the principles we'll glean from these instructions are relevant to all of us. And it really shows us the beauty of the life of our King of Kings, Yeshua, when he came and was on the earth, walking out his kingdom. We read in Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 15. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. From these verses, we get a glimpse of the upside down kingdom of God. You see, 
many of the things that we consider an earthly king to deserve. You know, we build an earthly king, a big palace. We make sure that he has all the silver and gold that his heart would desire. And in ancient times, maybe not so much today, but in ancient times, we even would allow him to have as many wives as his heart would desire. But yet these are some of the very things God says is not supposed to be in the hands of a king. These temptations that God considers would be destructive to the king. And in fact, think about even the king of kings. When Yeshua, the Messiah, the king of kings came down to this earth, he did not try and simply meet the minimum requirements of a king and what a king ought to desire for himself. But look at what his life composed of. We see that he did not gather excessive silver and gold, but in fact, he did not even have a place to lay his head. We see that, no, he did not gather many horses unto himself, but he entered Jerusalem by a donkey. We see furthermore that, no, he did not gather for himself many wives. In fact, he gathered to himself no wives. And he did not lift up his head above his brothers, but instead he washed their feet. And if our king who serves as our example lowered himself and did not even take a hold of that which we could consider would be his right. What does that say of us, his disciples, those of us, all of us who are so much lower than what he himself is? Let's look at each of these and see what they have in common. The first is that a king ought not to gather many horses onto himself. And this is, I mean, this is a strange commandment, especially for us in modern times. What is it about kings and horses? Well, specifically in Deuteronomy 17, 16, he actually says, don't gather many horses to yourself or return to Egypt in order to gather many horses for yourself, because the Lord has commanded for us to never return back to Egypt. Even though we are somewhat removed from the idea of having horses, the principle still applies. In ancient times, the gathering of many horses to oneself was a sign of prestige. It was a sign of wealth. It was a way of showing off. It was the Ferrari in the driveway. But not only that, the way that this is phrased tells us something deeper. When God says that they should not return to Egypt to find these horses, because in Egypt was where the many horses were. If you think about Pharaoh's chariots, right? It shows us a similar story of how in order for us to really gather much prestige and much symbolic success in this world by means of possessions, it requires of us to return to Egypt. You see, ultimately, brothers and sisters, There is either a dependency on God, which is to be living in his kingdom, or there is a living in excess, which is to be returning 
to the world yet again. Just like how God told the Israelites over and over, He criticized their complaining for they desired the things of Egypt, the melons, the leeks, and all its delicacies. God says you ought not return to that. Do not look at how the world looks at success. Do not look at what the world says. This is now how you have arrived or this is what wealth is. There is a different standard that God is pointing towards. The second one to explore is that kings ought not to gather many wives for themselves. And even though that's not something as popular today as it was in ancient times, it's worth addressing because there are people who are believers today who think about gathering many wives to themselves as being a good or honorable thing. But ultimately, we see that if a king is restricted from this delicacy, and if Yeshua totally avoided wives, then we ought not to gather many wives for ourselves if we want to be following the example of our Messiah. While he had no wife, of course, because of his role as Messiah, he does permit us to take a wife for ourselves. And the last instruction for a king is that he should not gather excessive silver and gold to himself. Now, we all know that it's not good to gather an excess. But the question is, what is it to have excessive wealth? I want to submit to you that it's quite simple. Many people will be blessed in many ways in this world regarding wealth and finances. But if God has blessed us in excess, if he has caused our cups to overflow in this area, then we ought to be giving in excess. That is what God calls the wealthy to. And that is what causes the helps the wealthy to keep his heart from being ruled by the silver and gold that he may have. You see, if we start to become a slave to wealth, it's best to give it away because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the giving is what changes us. Notice how all of these instructions towards kings have one thing in common. They're all about over indulgences. They're all about living in excess. They're actually all about a man who is not a giver at heart, a man whose heart has not been transformed to be after Christ, who in who he was, he was a giver. Our God is the God who gives. He gave us life initially, and even though we fell, he gave us life abundantly yet again. And he even gave his own life in order for you to have eternal life. God is a giver and any king under the king of kings who is not a giver like his king is fails his kingship role. And see, brothers and sisters, this is something I must talk about with you today more in detail because this is America's idol. Greed. And if I can be perfectly honest with you, I actually I, I didn't even want to make this message. And, I, and a part of me still doesn't want to make this message because I know that inevitably there will be some of my critics who look at what I'm about to say point a finger and say, well, look, he's just another preacher. 
looking for money, asking for money. So I want to be clear right off the bat here that this teaching is not about me asking for a donation or for anything. But I do think that it is very important for us to recognize what the Bible teaches about this topic so that you can become the king that God called you to become. And so if you're concerned that I am here asking for money, well, don't give to our ministry. But I would like to ask you to consider the principles that this word is about to show you and to give somewhere where God calls you to give. And another thing that I'd like to say, something that has been that has impacted my life in incredible ways is I have witnessed the miraculous generosity of God in the lives of many believers. Some of them are you. Some of them are you who I've even had the pleasure of meeting in person. And when we meet someone who has been so transformed by God, where they are so miraculously generous with what God has given them to steward, that is a testimony that is so close to the to likeness of Yeshua, so close to the to the giving heart of God, that that I want to submit to you has the transformative power to cause people to repent of their sin because they have experienced the kindness of God. And if that is you, if you are one of those who you know who you are, God has pricked your heart to give and you have heeded the call and you are giving to the poor or to ministries in God's kingdom or to however he is leading you. I want to thank you for heeding that call. I want to say praise God for you that he is doing this in and through you. But at the same time, I want to also say, unfortunately, then you are the minority. Unfortunately, we have the kingdom of God that is financially supported by a minority of believers. Being in ministry and be knowing many people who work in ministry, knowing people who work in in orphanages and among homeless people and and so forth and so forth, people on the ground. We know this to be the case. And considering that we live in America, one of the most wealthy nations in the world, if not the most wealthy, this ought not to be the case among believers. My fear is that some of us have been taken captive by mammon, that some of us have started to serve money and that we are actually, you know, we considering our our blessing, considering what God has given us, we have failed the stewardship of what he has given us because we have failed to see that what he has given us is not ours, but that everything that you have, even if you can say, well, Peter, I worked for everything I have. I'll say, praise God, you did. But God gave you everything that you can use to work. He gave you your talents. He gave you a mind. He gave you hands and feet. He gave you good health, whatever you have in order to be able to go to work every day. He has given you and the blessing, the the work, the, the finances that has come in because of your work. He has given you. I mean, do you re- understand that there are people who work just as hard as you, but they get that paid one or two percent of what you get paid in other countries in the world? 
Like, like I, I'm, I'm from South Africa. I know what it's like. I know what poverty is. I know what it's like to even work so very hard, but get paid so very little. And of course, we have that in the USA as well. But I want to remind you of this reality so that we are aware of what God calls us to. Because this message I'm giving you here, it's not a message that's like, oh, no, oh, no, like, like this is a terrible thing. No, this is a blessed thing. Like we think about giving sometimes as a, a, a thing of fear. You know, I have to give something up. Will, will, will God take care of me? I'll have to give something up. Will, will I then have less? I have to give something up. Well, what will that mean? Right. And that's when we hinder when we're hindered and giving. But what if you knew? Like, what if you understood the treasures that you have gathered to yourself when you give? Like, like, what if you could have a, a peek at that beauty that you are gathering for yourself at, under your kingdom ruling because of your giving? See, Yeshua speaks about this and he says in Matthew 6.20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Brothers and sisters, I mean, I don't know if you consider what is being said here, right? He says that having a bad eye is connected to serving money to greed, to when we don't want to give, to that when we don't steward that which has been given to us. And he says that the eye is the lamp of the body where the light is supposed to be. In other words, if you do not give, he is saying that your light will be darkened and you will have no light to shine anymore. And this sounds awfully familiar to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation 2 verse 4. A church who he, he says, return to your first love or I will remove your lamp stand from you. I will remove your light from you. You will have no more light. See, brothers and sisters, one of the main ways that we lose our first love is because we fall in love with something else. We've fallen in love with the world, the things of the world, the excess that the world has for us in the American dream, in the wealth that the world would promise us that we can sleep in. But ultimately, what if God is saying, I want you to turn your heart back to me, your first love away from the love of money. Otherwise, your light will go out. Otherwise, you will have no oil because see, if you have no lie, that means you have no oil and the oil is the Holy Spirit. You see, that is why when you don't give the spirit of God is quenched in your life. 
If you're not someone who is, who is generous in what God has blessed you with, then ultimately the gift of the Holy Spirit that is a free gift of God cannot move through your life the way he desires to. Brothers and sisters, greed is like a bottomless pit where we fall into and keep falling into. And there's no end to it. You will always want more and more and more. You will never be satisfied. There will always be another purchase. There will always be something else to spend your money on. There will be always something more to do to get more money in order to spend it. But at the end of the day, you still feel hopeless and empty. You still feel like there's something wrong, but you don't know what it is. Greed is the very thing that caused the fall of man in the first place. Think about this. Just just this is just incredible. I mean, God calls Adam and Eve to be kings, rulers over the garden, right? And what happens? The enemy comes and he says, I have something more for you. And he tempts them with a false excess, a, a false lie that says you can have more than what God has for you and you will be more happy with that. And then they eat, thinking they will become more like God. It was their greedy hearts that caused them to lose their kingdom roles. It's their greedy hearts that caused them to lose the treasure of eternal life itself. And so, brothers and sisters, God is calling you back to that kingdom rule. He has died for you to have it. But in order for you to have it, you need to give up those excesses that the world says a king is, is there to delight in. He goes and he says to us in Acts 20, 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, come on, the the, the scriptures say this. The question is, are you willing to believe it, that it is actually a greater blessing to give than to receive? I mean, this is like upside down stuff right here. It's like, well, God, what do you mean? I'm supposed to give something up and I'm going to be more happy than if I got something for free from someone who gave it from their own pocket? Like, yes. And I I can tell you the same, that by giving... The spirit of God flows through us because we are walking out our created value to be givers in the image of God. And that is the greater blessing. And some of you, 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 you've not even experienced the joy of being able to give to the poor or give to someone who is needy or give to a minister of God who is absolutely solely dependent on your giving or or whoever it is God leads you to like like to see the eyes the grateful eyes of a person like that to see how they see Christ in you to see how they praise God for his kindness on their life that day what is more rewarding Like what is more precious? Like what is like there are few things that we could do that allows us to witness the glory of God before us working through us in such a way as meeting the need of a brother, sister or a stranger. For some of us, 
We want to experience God to a greater degree. Amen for that. That's a great desire to have. And so we think that we need to pray and fast more. And there's nothing wrong with praying or fasting to seek God or experience God in a greater way in your life. All of those are good things. However, some of us have prayed and we have fasted and we have sought to experience him greater, but we have neglected the poor in our midst. We have neglected to give where God has put on our heart to give. We have neglected the minister in our midst. And ultimately, in the book of Isaiah, God warns about this and he says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen for you to share your bread? Not for you to just stop eating it, but for you to share what God has given you with those in need. And these treasures that we gather for ourselves in heaven, they're not just about giving financially. The scriptures go forward to tell us in many other ways that we gather treasures in heaven. And it says, for example, that it is if we give forgiveness to someone that God forgives us. It is that when we give the gospel to someone, the good news. It is when we go forward to give love to our enemies, even those who despitefully use you and persecute you. It is when you give your other cheek, when you go forward and even though someone is insulting you and even though someone is persecuting you, you endure. Malachi 3 verse 8 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you and your tithes and contributions? You're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Like, I don't know about you, but do you wish to be blessed? Do you wish to be provided for? Do you wish to be a participant in the kingdom of God as a king? Then do what your king did and give. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, giving has become such a taboo subject in our circles. But we see in the life of Yeshua and we see in the book of Acts that giving is a huge deal and often talked about. We see, for example, Yeshua talking about that widow who gave. Remember, she's going and she gives and he says, look at her. She has given more than anyone else here. Wow, like because she is a widow, because she as a widow has no income, right? She has no, she's not working. She doesn't have a husband providing for her. And she is the one who ought to be taken care of in God's kingdom. But yet she actually gives, even though she doesn't need to, even though there's no responsibility from the from the father or from God's kingdom on her to give. And so she gives regardless because her heart is pricked. And, you know, this is just crazy to me and nothing has changed. Like we have people who, who I've witnessed, right? I have witnessed widows give when they have little to give. They give regardless. 
And then I have seen people who are wealthy, who God has blessed, and they give nothing, if anything, at all. And I can just imagine at the throne of God, man, just think about what is this reality? This is going to be real. This is going to happen like that widow is going to stand before the Lord and that rich man is going to stand before the Lord. And what's going to what is he going to say to the widow? And what is he going to say to the rich man? Like, like I, I don't want to be the rich man. Like if he blesses you with well, praise God, but then give excessively. You cannot outgive God. Bless others. Be a, a picture of the goodness and the transformative power of God in your life, because only a miracle like that would would change your heart to the point where you're willing to give to those in need. In my many travels, I have met many people who are amazing people for the Lord, who are going and organizing events and conferences and and making great financial sacrifices even to do so. I have also met pastors of fellowships and other types of leaders in ministry, and all of these people have amazing hearts for the Lord and their financial sacrifices are so great. And they have become and guys, I'm going to say this because no one else will tell you this because they will. They are too humble. They are too behind the scenes, taking it kind of thing to tell you this. But there are many of them who are making enormous sacrifices and they are too afraid of asking for your financial assistance when you attend these events because they are afraid of you judging them. They're afraid that you're going to point the finger in your heart and say, well, look, they're just after money all over again, even though their heart is completely sold out. And even though they're in the negative financially, oftentimes in order to bring these events to you. But we attend, we attend, we we don't give. We we don't. And, and oftentimes it's it's even that the opportunity to give has not been given to you because these people, again, they're afraid of what you may think of them. But I want to break this open for us all because this lack of transparency, this lack of of taking the right to ask for support is actually hurting God's kingdom. It is causing us to not be able to have many events, have an event maybe one year, but it was such a financial burden to the organizer that it can't happen the next year. This is a reality that we face in the body and in the kingdom of God. And it is me. It means that the kingdom cannot be proclaimed as prolifically as it ought to be proclaimed because we have fears, fears that ought not to be in our midst. Fears of what people might think or fears of whether there will be provision for us if we were to give. But in the book of Acts, the apostles demanded of the people to have faith. And we see, for example, in Acts 4.33, and of great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The reality is, is despite 
sometimes our lack of giving, God still takes care of people and God does still provide. He always does. He always blesses. He always makes a way. But the question is, is do you want him to make a way without you? Or do you want to be involved in the way that the Lord has made? And it's clear where a lot of this hesitancy comes from. There has certainly been a lot of abuse regarding what the Bible teaches about giving and and twisting of scripture. You know this very well. There has been people who have have used this for their own gain. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, the Bible is filled with those examples too. We see, for example, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, 36, Joseph, who comes and he gives his entire field as a gift, right? So that people can be blessed by it. He does this very publicly and there's nothing wrong with that. And then we have Ananias and Zephira, they witness what Joseph does. And they give their house, but they do it in order to gain, to gain uh, standing in the church to gain other things. They know their left hand knew what their right hand was doing. And this abuse in giving meant that they had the death penalty come upon them. This was the first time that happened in the New Testament. God doesn't take this lightly. He will judge those who abuse this. But here's my question to you. Should those who have abused giving cause you to not give? Should what others have done with money cause impact what you do with yours? You see, brothers and sisters, greed is like a contagion that spreads. And I want to submit to you, it's a contagion that has spread to the body. Because what we have done is we have seen the greed of people, right? Of of people who are abusing things, right? And then we say, I'm not going to give because look at what they do. But now what you have done is you have allowed the greed of someone else to create greed in you. And now you do not give throughout your greed and you just use their greed as an excuse for your greed. You're no different than they are if you do not give because of what they have done. Yes, practice discernment on where you give. Let the Lord direct your giving. Praise God. But do not let someone else's greed make you greedy. Do not let someone else's disqualification be the thing that disqualifies you before the Lord. Do not let someone else's squandering of their treasures be what causes you to squander yours. The reality is, is that God does call us to give to ministers of the gospel. We see in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14, God speaks regarding the Levitical priesthood and he says the following. You shall not neglect the Levite who is in your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or within your towns, they shall come and eat and be filled. And the Lord your God may bless you in all the work at your hands that you do. And I know what people are thinking. I know the arguments. I have heard it. Oh, but those are for the Levites. Pastors today, evangelists today, prophets, apostles, teachers, shepherds, whatever office of ministry today, they are not Levites. This is different. 
They ought to do their own secular work. But Paul wrote regarding the Levitical priesthood and he said the following. In 1 Corinthians 9.13, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. We can't make the argument that this is only for the Levites because God has come to clarify that this principle applies to ministers who are in this new period after Acts 2. And it also, we can't say that, oh, it was food back then. There was no money involved. Well, food was their currency back then. And Paul writes that, yes, they were paid in food. But he concludes that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel because they are not very different from Levitical priests. If someone is absolutely called by the Lord to be working in ministry full time, a calling not many should desire, but one that God will only reveal to you and that you should approach with fear and trembling. But if he does that, and if that person is called to that, that means that they, don't, they have a sacrifice they are making. They're not going to have their own secular job because they are devoting their time exclusively to the Lord. That means that they do not have, like the Levites didn't have land, this person in full-time ministry doesn't have their land. They don't have their job that they can labor and toil in. And so, unlike your privilege to be able to labor and toil in your secular work, these ministers cannot. And they are dependent as the Levitical priesthood was dependent upon the people, the other tribes of Israel to take care of them. And so it is today. I mean, let's just think about this practically in God's kingdom. Like if you have a man who goes to mow your lawn, do you not pay him a wage? Or if you go to the doctor because you have a sickness, do you not pay him a wage to care for you? And if you have a plumber to come and fix the pipe in your house that is clogged or that is leaking, do you not pay him a fair wage? If I have someone who comes to fix something in my house, I am, I am delighted to pay for their labors because that is what they deserve. I am eager to do that. Because that is what God calls me to be. And if, I, if you have a Netflix subscription or if you have a Hulu subscription or you have a whatever TV subscription or you have a YouTube subscription and you pay that subscription every month so you can watch that. And you pay all of these men and people who serve you and who work and labor for you. But you do not pay the man who labors for your soul and the kids that you have, your kids' souls, the one who comes and labors in the gospel in the midst of you, you do not give to him, but you give to the plumber and the guy who mows your lawn. What does that say about our priorities? What does that say about the state of the body itself? This is a neglected area as well. Do not neglect the orphan and widow and poor in your midst. I just want to give you a practical tip for that. You know, I would really encourage you 
to in your giving, wherever it is, whether it's for the poor, whether it's for for ministry, you know, you let God direct your heart on where and how much and all of that detail. But a way that has really helped me and my wife and our personal finances do this is we have and I have done this before I was even married. I, I created a bank account. I set money aside every month. My first fruits of every month I set aside in a bank account. And that percentage, right, that I set aside is not my money at all. Like I didn't touch that for personal things ever at all. That money is already given away in my heart. And so when I see a need, I have already a bank account that I can draw from and I don't have to think about, well, do I have the money to give to this person? I don't have to think about, well, you know, I don't have to let my fears come in my way because I've already given it away in my heart. I've already released it in my heart. And because you are now proactively giving and doing this, it means that you're not going to spend an excess and then have nothing left to give at the end of the month to someone. And so then when you come across a man who is in need, who is poor, who is struggling or a brother or a sister who has something bad happen and they're in a bad financial situation or whatever it is, you are able, willing, quick to give. And brothers and sisters, I want to just read this to you. Matthew 25 verse 40, he says, and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I want to submit to you that this is supposed to be like an opportunity, something that is exciting for us. Like when I read this, I'm not saddened as much as I am excited. I'm like, well, God, like you're saying that what, a, what I do to the least I'm doing to you. Like, that's just like, wow, like, like I can have like Yeshua and my presence in some way and I can do good to him. Think about that. Like, like, I can meet a poor man on my journey somewhere in my day and I can look upon him as if he is Yeshua himself and how I will show kindness to him. You know, like that means like, wow, you are you are struggling like you are. You needed a lift. You know, you need me to buy you some bread. You need whatever you need. Like, oh, my goodness, this is like I have this opportunity before me. That's like as if I am actually doing this for my Messiah, like my goodness, like what an opportunity that is. That is not a burden. That is not a, a hindrance. That is not a, oh my goodness. You know, that's like, uh, I'm beside myself in excitement for that. And you should be too. And so brothers and sisters, I just want to end it off with this opportunity that this Torah portion gives us. And this opportunity that is now coming up in the next few months as we enter the full feasts, the biblical full feasts of God. And we read here in Deuteronomy 16, 16, three times a year, all the males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place you will choose at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks and the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. The feast days are coming up and I want to ask you, do not appear before the Lord empty handed. 
Prepare your hearts for the season of giving and see how the Lord comes through and blesses you. Just as personal testimony, I have never had God ask me to give somewhere, even radically, and yet he doesn't come through to provide for my needs. God is a giver, and if we are imitating him to give, he's going to give to us and make sure our needs are met. You see, do you remember that king that we talked about in the beginning? How a good king is supposed to write a copy of the law for himself? I want to submit to you that Yeshua, when he ascended and he said, it's good that I go because my Holy Spirit comes to descend. We know that the prophecies in Ezekiel and Jeremiah have come to pass where the Holy Spirit would come to write the law on our hearts. How beautiful we are supposed to be the copy of the law that Yeshua has. We are supposed to be the walking temple of God with the truth seated inside of us. And when people see us and our generosity and how we are not only a blessed nation, but a nation that blesses others. And I'm not talking about a, a nation like America. I'm not talking about a nation like you. I'm talking about the nation of God and God's kingdom. When they see us as a nation of blessing others, will they not want to partake in becoming the blessing that God has enabled us to become? This is our witness to the world. And this is your opportunity to be able to do good to Yeshua and repay him in some small way for the gift that he has given you. Father, I pray, Lord, for everyone who is watching. Lord, I thank you for this exciting privilege that we can partake in the gospel with you in giving. Lord, I pray that you would give us generous hearts. Lord, I am I am even excited as I have spoken now to go and give to someone, Lord. And I pray that you would do the same for anyone listening to this. Father and Lord, I pray, God, that you would direct our hearts, Lord, to where you want us to give. I pray for discernment, Father, but I also pray, Lord, that you would give us radical generosity. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that the world will see us as a generous nation and kingdom. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would draw many in. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Thank you so much for joining me. May the Father bless you, may he keep you, may he shine his face upon you, may he lift up his countenance upon you, may he give you his shalom and his mercy.